0: This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise.
1: Homebrew in Paradise.
0: Homebrew in Paradise, your one stop shop for all your beer, wine, cider, and fermented food making needs. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast and get 10% off all starter kits and recipes. Go on down and see them. Pick something up. Buy something. Learn to brew your own beer. Stop paying for it. It's way cheaper. What's the address for Homebrew in Paradise?
1: 740 Mo'avah Street in Kalihikai. Yeah. That's. Homebrew in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're recording this Saturday, October 27th at 9.15 Hawaii time. Uh, the president of the United States has incited a pogrom in Pittsburgh. Uh, eight people have been killed at a bris and uh, the Tree of Life synagogue in the greater Pittsburgh area. Um, may their memories be a blessing. I... Don't think I can say too much more right now because whatever I say uh, is going to be far too obscene uh, to make it on the air.
0: Do you just have one thought about President Trump? Yes. We'll bleep it.
1: Yeah. Fuck you, Donald Trump. And everybody who still stands with you and thinks that this is okay.
0: Who thought the tax cuts would be worth it? Yeah who and, thought
1: and that, who said that the supreme court seat well, was worth they, it if they had just if they just had armed guards during at the for those of you know for those for our audience uh, unfamiliar uh, when a when a jewish boy turns 8 days old he's introduced to his community that's when the circumcision is performed it's like supposed to be a joyous occasion and now you know uh, there are 50,000 jews in the greater pittsburgh area they're probably all going to be affected by this and they're going to be you know traumatized by this um, we also saw in kentucky a White supremacist shot two black men, uh, saying whites don't kill whites.
0: He tried to go into a black church yeah, he first. Yeah,
1: tried to go. Tried to do another Dylan Roof. This is basically we, we seen, had another guy who yeah. tried to bomb sent b- bombs the entire yeah.
0: top level Democratic Party leadership.
1: And the president of the United States is talking about how well it's oh you know now the media is only talking. You know what? Let's just let's just cut off here. I don't want to talk about him anymore.
0: Let's do the job. Yeah.
1: We often hear howli meaning white person in a negative connotation. But it's a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu, Ahue Ho.
0: Howling. Haole. Yeah. Yeah. Haole. haole. is a perfectly good word. Welcome to the Blue White Podcast, I'm Ryan Little. I'm Josh Michaels. And today is a bit of a somber occasion, yeah. uh, as many days are in the Trump administration. I was,
1: I was ready to talk about how friggin' World Series game last night went seven hours, 18 innings, that's the longest World Series game in history. But
0: then those white supremacists are yeah. out here trying to literally destroy the fabric of American society.
1: Well, if you're, you know, uh, if you're as pissed off as we are, remember it's almost time to Pokemon go to the polls as what? Pokemon go to Pokemon the po- go to the polls. Remember Hillary Clinton? That was her relating to the youths. <laughs> hello, fellow kids. Hello, hello fellow children. Yeah. Uh, so the star advertiser uh, put up a little thing on Wednesday, a little feature. Did you know the Blue Hawaii cocktail was created by a bartender in Waikiki? The man who created it, Harry, turned 100 this year. Did you also know? The Blue White Podcast was created by two men in my
0: basement. The men who created it, Ryan Little and Josh Michaels, both turned
1: 29 this year. No, I'm, I'm not turning 29 until next year. January 4th.
0: Both turned 29-ish this year.
1: <laughs> uh, so, um, the big story of the week. Uh, the MAGA bomber. Yep. Uh, man named Caesar Sayoc a 56-year-old whose criminal history uh, includes previous arrests for making bomb threats uh, and also worked as an exotic dancer and bouncer in a number of strip clubs.
0: Nothing more exotic than domestic terrorism.
1: Uh, Was sending pipe bombs in the mail to uh, the Obamas, the Clintons, George Soros, a number of prominent Democrats, basically uh, Robert De Niro as well. Basically anybody who Trump criticized. Um, Yeah. This This is the new normal in America, I guess. You know, um, but the real the real danger in all of this is, is those left mobs. People yelling at Mitch McConnell in a restaurant. Did you see? Did you see the guy's van? Yeah. So Fox News blurred out the sticker. The thing, you know, you've seen. I'm sure we've all seen uh, deranged our fellow our fellow deranged citizens. You know, we've
0: got a couple in Honolulu. Yeah,
1: slapping abortion kills. Uh, you know, photos of dead babies. Uh, big pictures of Trump. Like you know, Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. Lock her up. Blah blah blah. Fox News blurred out all the stickers on the van and only described them as quote political messages.
0: No. Yeah. That's some. That's some shameless. That's messed yeah. up. That's straight Politburo. Oh yeah. And the did the, you s- see the State, sticker? State
1: TV, baby. What was your favorite sticker from the van? My favorite sticker was a uh, top youth soccer recruits yeah, for mine Trump <laughs>
0: too. Like what?
1: Yeah. That's what is a youth soccer recruit,
0: <laughs> and like. Why? How are they for Trump? You know? We'll never
1: know. because Hopefully is, this guy's yeah. going to prison forever. Uh, the, he also, according to one report, owned $7,000 worth of Trump-branded clothing. That's a lot. Yes, but the president takes no responsibility, uh, obviously, because he's never taken responsibility for anything in his entire life. Mm-hmm. He also, uh, at a White House event where he was, you know, call, quote-unquote, calling for unity, uh, several audience members shout out, George Soros, and others shout, lock him up. Uh, the quote Trump chuckles, points and repeats, lock them up. And the next day, an armed gunman went into a synagogue and killed a bunch of people. Yeah. So it's great. Normal country. Um, the caravan of asylum seekers heading for the border, uh, you know, it's not like we ever did anything to mess up other countries in Latin America. Well, well than-
0: let's keep in context, like what they're fleeing, which yeah.
1: is the. U.S.-installed
0: right-wing dictator yeah. that sold their land and natural resources
1: to mining companies. I mean, it's not like we ever staged a coup in Latin America just because a fruit company asked us to, right? We've that only was, done that like three or four or it, that seven times. Legitimately like all of the 70s and yeah. 80s. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the administration is saying not just criminals are in this caravan, but unknown Middle Easterners. That's an actual quote. Like Unknown Middle Easterners. How do they know that? Um, I don't know, but how do you have any idea, but it sounds freaking terrifying to Fox news viewers that there are unknown Middle
0: Easterners. There's a, I hate to tell them that there's unknown Middle Easterners living in their cities.
1: You know who, uh, like
0: you can't know all the Middle Easterners.
1: I can think of one, uh, scruffy looking young Middle Eastern man with some ex- extreme ideas. Do you mean Jesus Christ? I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so funny, like Middle Eastern, not even, now it's not even Muslims, now it's just everybody. So uh, Indians who had a brief respite probably uh, in the whole like super Islamophobia, even though most people can't tell a, you know, Indian from a Saudi, from a Pakistani, at least not most Americans, uh, it's coming to you now. So, Uh, sorry.
1: Have you noticed how like when our people, you know, our ancestors who came on a boat caravan... Uh, when we travel great distances in search of new opportunities and a better life, we're great pioneers and everybody else is some sort of invading horde. Yeah, I mean, if you if you like... That's the same reason we are expats when we move abroad and we're not immigrants.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Also, third thing, third peeve here. Nobody in the news is explaining how laws work. It's legal to present yourself at the U.S. border without yeah. papers. You can, you know, you, declare, you ask, you request asylum. You're it's not breaking process. any U.S. law. Yeah. And third, and sorry, fourth thing. These people are still a thousand miles away walking on foot. They are not coming like tomorrow. <laughs> to
0: give you an idea of how far they are, they're basically in Kansas yeah. walking to L.A. Yeah. That's a hard walk. Yeah. Oh, God. You're walking. I mean, another way to think about it, you're in Alabama walking to Buffalo, New York.
1: Like, that's not an easy trip. But people have done it, I'm assuming. Maybe not on, Maybe not walking. Forrest
0: Gump did it like three yeah. times.
1: Ah. Uh, well... I was going to say, well, we could turn to local news for a respite. This remote Hawaiian island just vanished. That's the headline from Nathan Eagle in Civil Beat. So uh, do do you want to read some of this, Ryan?
0: Sure. Hurricane Walaka, one of the most powerful Pacific storms ever recorded, has erased an ecologically important remote northwestern island from the Hawaiian archipelago. Using satellite imagery, federal scientists confirmed Monday that East Island, a critical habitat for endangered Hawaiian monk seals and green sea turtles, was almost entirely washed away this month. I had a holy moment thinking, oh my God, it's gone, said Chip Fletcher, a University of Hawaii climate scientist. It's one more chink in the wall of the network of ecosystem diversity on this planet that is being dismantled. This hurricane's pathway wasn't a function of climate change, he said, but its strength and timing were consistent with the effects of a warming ocean and rising global temperatures that make storms more intense
1: that sucks wow so you know we're fine like nothing to worry about
0: i mean it was like a sandy island yeah but like, still like a sand island nothing would ever happen on the wahoo like that no
1: a sand not yet we don't even have a sand <laughs> Check island. back in it and- we do we do Uh-oh. has anybody checked on sand island recently <laughs> um what else is new oh megan kelly is out at nbc uh she got paid 69 million dollars for less than a year of work It's great Uh, It all came to a crashing halt because the lady who insisted vehemently that Jesus and Santa Claus were both white, and that's just non-negotiable, could not understand why blackface might be offensive.
0: How is she getting a payout? Like, is there not a for-cause provision that's like,
1: if you say some super racist stuff? They clearly did not watch her show on Fox News. Um, I credit to Media Matters here. I am going to... They put together a compilation of some of megan kelly's greatest hits uh timeline reporting megan kelly's response to the louisiana theater shooting was to speculate about an isis connection it was
0: a white right-wing guy
1: megan kelly attacks dnc chair for inviting a muslim representative from cair to state of the union address megan kelly asks anti-gay hate group leader why pro-gay activists are so intolerant fox's megan kelly asks whether indictment against center for medical progress is a political hit job
0: Fox's Megyn Kelly calls gender pay gap, quote, a meme.
1: Megyn Kelly on Sandra Bland case, quote, even if you know the cop is in the wrong, comply and complain later.
0: And of course, uh, Fox's Megyn Kelly bemoans, quote, the anti-cop thug mentality she sees in, quote, black communities.
1: Lovely person. We wish you well. Uh, enjoy your sixty-nine million yeah. dollars. Kudos to NBC for finally taking prompt action. And hold on, my phone's ringing. Oh, it's Ronan Farrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How? Yeah. NBC doesn't look great here either. No.
0: You like? Did you not watch any of her show ahead yeah. of time? Like, well, okay. Here's what. It, here's the implication. And like, if we're being honest, it's that who is it? Al Roker and. Uh, what was the woman that was hosting with him? Tamron Hall. Tamron Hall.
1: They got, they got, their show got yanked. They got Kelly. yanked.
0: They are both people of color. Yeah. And
1: they were like, Not Al Roker is a fucking
0: institution. And when they were like, they he's,
1: were, he's like the American weatherman.
0: So they were like, all right, you know what? We, you know, who we really need to get, we need, we need uh, to get more white people. An airheaded who are angry. blonde white
1: woman from Fox News. And so
0: how do we do that? Yeah, we get, we pick, you know, the airheaded blonde white woman, and then like they're, they made. Like, they're not the victim here. No. Like, they did the dance with the devil. They knew who Megyn Kelly was. They knew what they were getting. And they were like, that's who we want because we want to attract her viewership. Like, they're basically, they were trying to fight for Fox News viewers. Like, they suck. Yeah.
1: Wow. Jesus. Um,
0: no, not him. Megyn Kelly said he's white.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, similar note to the, you know, uh, the Republicans whipping everybody up into uh, about the caravan, etc., the other thing, they're getting people whipped up. Uh, they're really hammering the culture war issues because they can't run on their, you know, quote-unquote, successful tax cut that will pay for itself and create so many jobs, blah, blah, blah. Everybody realizes it's a lie now. Uh, New York Times is reporting, the Trump administration is considering narrowly defining gender as a biological immutable condition determined by genitalia at birth. The most drastic move yet in a government-wide effort to roll back recognition and protections of transgender people under federal civil rights law. Basically... The federal government is deeply, deeply concerned about how you relate to your genitals. Yeah. Well, I really hope Caitlyn Jenner is glad she endorsed Donald Trump. In
0: fact, uh, she's expressed on Twitter that she is unhappy with this (laughs) rule.
1: I never thought that the leopards would eat my face, said the woman who voted for the leopards eating people's faces party.
0: It's like this law, if it ever happens, is just... It's just mean spirited. Yeah. Like, if we're being honest, like, and and I don't mean this in a way to to minimize them. Like, there's not even that many transgender people no, in our population. It's just like
1: just like this, you know, caravan, which is really a thousand miles away and poses literally no threat to the United States. The two percent of people with gender dysmorphia or you know who are living as transgender folks. Who are great and brave and wonderful people. Are just trying to live their frigging yeah, lives, like, man. But it's, it's a great scare tactic. They're coming into your bathrooms. It's like there's... They're coming into your bathrooms. They're going to molest your children. It's Yeah, it's like there's...
0: I don't even like... And maybe some of this is because there's like stigma for coming out. And I'm sure that's got to be part of it. But like no one's saying like the transgender population is a quarter of the U.S. population. Like it's not 10%. It's not 5%. It's, it's like 2%. It's like it's hardly it's hardly any size at all. And it's like the only, I only bring this up not to, again, not to minimize the cause or make them sound like insignificant because I certainly don't think they are. I mean, we've had, you know, transgender guests on here before who are wonderful people and I love them and potentially voted for them. But I'm saying like, to make a law to apply it to such a small group of people that relative to the 350 million it's, in it's, the country. It's just it's it's one, just mean. Yeah,
1: it's and it's it's mean. It's it's three things. It's mean, it's whipping up the base and it's undoing what Obama did. Obama's, you know, the Obama DOJ, you know. In, but like you can't even
0: it's not even popular right now to run on undoing what Obama did. Like they can't even they can't use Obama on the campaign trail because he's actually super popular even amongst Republicans at
1: this point. Like Now, he's, that, now he's, that he's not on their TVs every day, like, oh, the scary black man. Yeah. Like,
0: like, oh, you know, he wasn't so bad. Yeah, he's like, he's not, you know, he's not somebody who they would,
1: you know, want to probably venerate, but right. like, they're realizing like, oh, the Affordable Care Act is more popular right. now than it's ever been. And all the Republicans across the country are running saying, we're trying to protect pre-existing conditions. Like, they're basically
0: what? running on Obama's 2008 yeah. platform, even though they have no yeah.
1: intentions of doing and it. And I think most, if there are still any, you know, if you haven't left the Republican Party already, and you still consider yourself like a moderate, reasonable Republican, you probably think like, I didn't agree with the guy's policies, but at least like he wasn't a 24/7 constant walking embarrassment to the United States. Yeah.
0: Like Obama is like there to to give you an idea, I mean, I'm sure people have noticed this, but like to show you how popular they believe that Obama is, if they start talking policy, they're campaigning still against Hillary Clinton. Yeah. They're not campaigning against Barack Obama. No? Like he's not he's not a uh, a boogeyman anymore.
1: Mm-mm. This is exactly, you know, the, the immigration and transgender stuff, just exactly like Bush and Karl Rove in 2004 against John Kerry when, well, we can't beat him on policy and nobody likes the Iraq wars, So we're going super hard on gay marriage and flag burning. Yeah. What? Nothing motivates old people to vote better than fear. Oh,
0: Also, speaking of old people, a new study this week showed that uh, old people are, quote, significantly worse than young people at telling fact from opinion and lie. Which you know,
1: anybody has, who spent any time on Facebook knows that that's definitely the case. How do we describe the the differences the other day? It's Insta- like, Instagram is, uh, wow, my life is perfect. Why isn't your life perfect? You're pathetic. Twitter is like, wow, my life is awful. And like, if you're not outraged and pissed off all the time, you're you know you don't really care. Facebook is, my grandma's racist. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah,
0: it's a hundred percent what it is. Like, I I think it, it's just so funny to me that like, I mean, I think the i think president obama said it best in his you know little viral campaign ad he did recently where it's like you wouldn't let your grandparents pick your playlist like you, are, wouldn't, you pick your are you letting them pick your government are you letting them pick your freaking government millennials
1: millennials, millennials. Pick
0: some people that actually know what the internet is i was at a table the other night with a woman who said quote i can't do the social media the emails are hard enough
1: yeah like that woman voted
0: she voted, huh. and she voted for somebody because she told me that I think would be a terrible legislator, uh, and potentially is a terrible legislator already—a very terrible, vindictive legislator.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when we come back, we'll do we'll do a quick commercial for you, and we've got a another one fresh off the presses. Fresh off the. This one actually came off Facebook and is was public, but you probably haven't seen it, so we're going to call this a biggie leak anyway.
0: Bicky More in a minute.
1: Blue, Blue White, White Podcast. Podcast. Blue Blue White. White. This episode of Blue White Podcast is brought to you by Royal Thai Garden. I wanna eat Royal Thai. Mm. Food's so good it'll make you cry. Mm. I dream about it every night and day. Come on. Ever Beach, it's on the way. It's not. It's not on the way. It's kind of far out, but like it's worth the trip. It's. It's not far out if you live in like Makakilo or yeah. Mililani yeah. or Kapole. Kapolei. Yeah. Or I know we've got we've got listeners in Makakilo. Shout out to them.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, we've got listeners out on on the leeward coast. Like, see? it's it's yeah. pretty. It's. I'll tell you what. Yeah. We went to Royal Thai last week. It's just. I mean, we've gone numerous times before, but it's just like it's so freaking
1: good. And it's every time like every time I leave, I'm like. That was the best Thai food I've ever had. And one And they, more. they beat each experience beats the previous experience.
0: And I I mean I know this is a commercial and we're sort of breaking the fourth wall here, but yes. like it like guys, you just don't understand. Like it all their like I didn't even know until this time that most of their food is like from local Hawaii farms. Yeah.
1: That's they, amazing. The the uh it's a family family owned restaurant, and the dad is the one doing all the farming, right? He like, farms he, he farms
0: a lot and then he gets other ingredients from other farms. I'm just telling you guys, like, it's not that I think we use it in our uh in our our Kelly spoof song a couple of episodes back. Like it's not just that it's great, it's it just makes all other Thai foods seem just okay. Yeah. So, anyways, Royal Thai Garden, ninety-one one thousand one Chimile Street, Eba Beach, Hawaii. Go there, eat it. Now 96706. Now. And now we're back with
1: Leakes. Okay. So, a little context here. Uh, bring a background before we give you the deets. This is Chad Blair writing in Civil Beat 2 weeks before the general election. Office of Hawaiian Affairs trustee Rowena Akana is the focus of a contested case hearing regarding multiple violations of state law. What? But her 28-year political career and her reputation are also arguably on the line. <gasps> Akana, who has served on the OHA board of trustees since 1990, that was the year I was born, longer than any trustee, is charged by Dan Gluck, executive director of the Hawaii State Ethics Commission, with accepting prohibited gifts, <gasps> failed to report the acceptance of gifts, <gasps> and using her office for personal benefit. <gasps> if the Ethics Commission concludes that Akana is at fault, she could be subject to tens of thousands of dollars in fines. <sighs> and folks, uh, we, we we know we'll get some emails saying, oh, why are these two Howlis talking about Oha? That's none of your business, blah, blah, blah. Rice Cayetano, we can these, do that. I was going to say these are just the facts as reported, <laughs> <Just kidding>. but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, yeah, th- this yeah. isn't this isn't our No. So a friend of ours who is a who is Native Hawaiian who is a beneficiary of Oha and has been tracking the hearing very closely posted the following on Facebook. Quote, "I attended the ethics hearing briefly this morning. I was confronted by Akana in the restroom where she taunted me. I am not surprised by her behavior because she and I have had prior interactions. In 2017, immediately following her removal as chair, she attempted to attack me." I had to be escorted by a friend to my car. Prior to that, she confronted me in front of the media in a bully-like fashion. I said nothing back then because I tried my best to rise above the conflict. Today, the evidence presented showed that staff have endured a hostile work environment under her tenure. They are afraid to speak out against her for fear of retaliation or being bullied. While I am able to handle my own, I can't imagine what it's like to work for a leader like this. To be very, very clear, her ethics hearing on the 50 separate violations... 50. Is not an isolated incident. She has had a history of misconduct. To try and justify her lack of decorum and respect for humans is unacceptable to me as a beneficiary. When she has had twenty-eight years of experience to build her own capacity, and that's—we'll just leave it at that. Mic drop. Bic- Big Oh, we got a great guest for you coming up. We are talking to our dear friend. International. You that we say. Everyone is our dear friend. We have lots of dear friends. We have so many dear friends. If you want to be our dear friend. And people who we just we just meet, yeah. become
0: dear friends. Yes.
1: Friends turn to enemies, enemies turn to friends. Uh boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. What is that from? <laughs> Werewolf bar mitzvah? I was supposed to say, is that from 30 Rocks? <laughs> That's from 30. Yeah. The, Spooky scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um Bessema Al-Ghussain, she is a national security international relations expert working in dc doing big things, but also where's she uh, from she is a humble local girl from the esteemed institution of kahuku high school kahuku go red raiders red raiders we are talking to her about all things dc and middle east uh, as you might have heard there's some there's some stuff going on there where do you see your middle east yes yeah <laughs> and that'll be right after this stay tuned Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii podcast. We are thrilled to be talking to our dear friend, Bessama Al-Ghussain. She is the CEO of al hussein Global Strategies, which specializes in government affairs and advocacy, policy research, and strategic communication in the United States and the Middle East. She's also an alum of the Truman National Security Project, a former Obama administration appointee. Uh, an alum of the center for strategic international studies and an alum of congresswoman Klein hanabusa's office she's appeared on television and radio all over the world from the bbc to al jazeera to dot 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 fox news she is a palestinian american local girl proud kahuku red raider all-around badass We're very pleased, Bassima. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Yeah, but okay. So before we get into the million insane news issues out there, can you tell us just a little bit about your story and your journey from Hawaii around the world?
2: Sure. So um, as you shared, I went to Kahuku High School on the North Shore of Oahu, and when I was at Kahuku, yeah, exactly. When I was at Kahuku, I was a really big debate nerd, a Red Raider debater, Um, and I was really interested in politics and government. And so when I went to college, I went to college on the mainland. I was really lucky to get an internship um, in, at the time, Congressman Neil Abercrombie's office. So I interned in his office, and then I later came back to D.C. after... Um, I graduated from college and I eventually worked in Colleen Hanabusa's office for four years. Um, and then I went to the center for strategic and international studies after her, unfortunately unsuccessful Senate race, um, against Senator Schatz. And then from there, I actually started my own company, um, while I was at CSIS because CSIS lets you do outside consulting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I set it up while I was still there. And then what happened was is I got a client who um, was a Middle Eastern gentleman and m- multi-hundred millionaire mogul um, who required pretty much all of my time and attention.
1: Mm-hmm, dang.
2: Um, so I just quit CSIS and I did the consulting thing full-time. Um, but then while I was working with him... I got a job offer from the White House um, to be a legislative affairs advisor to the Department of Energy in the Obama administration.
0: Oh, uh, those were the days. Do you think the mogul would be interested in sponsoring a podcast?
2: Um, maybe I can ask
1: him. All right, we'll give yeah. him this episode as a sample. Then, yeah, Perfect. Just, just show him a little bit about okay. what we do. Uh, we're taking outside assignments. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit like what is a typical day at the office like. And what's some of the work you've done?
2: Um, honestly, there is really no typical day. Um, as, you, as you know and shared, I do a lot of television interviews. Mm-hmm. And the nature of kind of live TV breaking news is that I just get called maybe maximum an hour in advance. Wow. So Dang. it's really hard to kind of have a structured day because it's like I'll structure it and then Something will happen and, like, my whole schedule goes out the door. Sure. So, um, and then I'm also a grad student at night at Georgetown. Ooh. So, it's been quite a lot of work, but I try every day to at least do one social media posting to, like, okay. kind of build my following and my base mm-hmm. um, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, I just kind of started using Instagram, but um, it's amazing how, how many people kind of see me through those mechanisms and reach out to me for work or speaking opportunities or television um, that way. Sure. So I like literally will have producers kind of search me. They'll see me on some other channel and then yeah. they'll like search me out on Facebook and then book me for their channel. Okay. So it's cool. been pretty organic. Yeah. Cool.
1: What was your like your, you know, your quote unquote big break? Like how did you first get into the talking head slash punditry business? And are they hiring? So I, w-
2: <laughs> so I was a Truman national security project fellow in the, um, In 2017, so I'm still a member, but that was like my fellowship year was 2017. Mm -hmm. And after the Obama administration ended, you know, of course, kind of we were all thinking that Hillary was going to win. And so I had really been setting my career path up to work in the what would be the Hillary Clinton administration. Mm. Um, But then after she lost... I kind of took some time off because I, it was my first semester of grad school. Mm -hmm. I was a spring admit. Um, and I kind of had to just reassess and reevaluate like what my new game plan was going to be. And then it just so happened that I had already set up my consulting company the year before, before I had gone into the Obama administration. And so basically what I did was I just kind of reactivated it. And then Um, kind of slowly, slowly started doing client development and getting out there a little bit more. But because I had a flexible schedule and I wasn't employed by an institution, the Truman National Security Project would call me and ask me if I would do television interviews on their behalf. Nice. Um, And I was kind of in a unique situation where I was able to because... What happens is oftentimes when people don't have a flexible schedule, you know, like you're in the office, if you just get a call... And they say, hey, in 45 minutes, can you come to the TV studio to talk about X? Nine times out of ten, you can't, right? Because you have Mm -hmm, a client meeting or you have a whatever. Um, Or another thing that happens is there's a lot of people who are employed by certain firms or organizations. And there might be like a really long, arduous process to get approval for something like that. That at the point that you would get the approval, like the opportunity is gone. Mm -hmm. So I was in this unique position where it's like, I live in the neighborhood. I live really close to almost all of the major networks and studios. And I have a background in speech and debate. So I'm a pretty good public speaker. And then I've just been up on all these issues because I've lived in Washington for now 10 years and I've worked in Congress and in the administration and in think tanks. And so, um, and I've just always been a news junkie and a current events junkie. So, um, yeah. So so my first time I was ever on TV was through the Truman National Security Project and then it just really took off from there. Well,
0: nice. So speaking of being a news junkie, um where do you go? Like what do you look at if you're trying to stay informed on what's going on?
2: Well, so I mean my go-to domestic papers are the New York Times and the Washington Post. Sure. But I actually do get a lot of my news from social media. And my reason for that is because, so my Facebook friends, you know, I have, now I have 5,000 Facebook friends, which is the max for a private account, wow. and I have friends. <laughs> I have friends all over the world, and so I actually really like to go to Facebook to get news because what will happen is they'll my friends in other parts of the world will be sharing articles that are maybe from a newspaper in Great Britain or maybe mm-hmm. are from an Israeli newspaper or mm-hmm. a newspaper in Saudi Arabia, and um, I, you know see it because they're sharing it with me. Whereas that might not be like a news outlet that I would just go to kind of organically myself, you know, every day and check it. So I like seeing the different kind of perspectives and the ways that people are reporting on stories from around the world. But then Mm -hmm. I also from working, I guess, on this side of the media landscape, I mean, I I take into account, I mean, I yeah, of course, I understand that, like, not all countries have free press. In fact, most countries don't have free press. So, like, you know, where the news source is from and potentially how reliable it is. And I've actually sent articles because I have a lot of friends who work in town and in media. And so I've sent articles that I've, like, read on a Middle Eastern paper to friends at The Washington Post and just been, like, Hey, guys, like, is this, can you confirm or deny is this true? What's up? Mm, you know?
1: Very cool. So, well, you yeah. know, looking at looking at how crazy things are both in D.C. and across the Middle East region, you know, at least we can all sleep soundly at night knowing that Jared Kushner is on the case.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. He's <laughs> so. not, he's like one of my least favorite people in the Trump administration without a doubt. Yeah. That's
0: saying a lot. Yeah. Because so, they've got Betsy DeVos in there. Yeah. We've got our own crown prince
1: problems. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: So right now, you know, the biggest story in the world is uh, the torture and murder and dismemberment while he was still living of uh, Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi by the Saudi government. Um, And that was almost certainly at the direction of uh, MBS or the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, Trump and his allies are like sort of just like falling all over themselves saying that Saudi Arabia... Uh, didn't do it and you know they're being blamed for uh, everything is sort of like Brett Kavanaugh's another case of guilty until proven innocent and you know of course going after them is not worth risking 100 billion dollars worth of arms sales um, how do you see this all playing out and what do you think our future relationship should look like with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia
2: well to be honest I think that keeping Mohammed bin Salman in power jeopardizes US Saudi relations. I mean, we see the Senate, you know, the entire Senate Foreign Relations Committee, we see members from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in Congress calling for sanctions, you know, um, calling for a freeze on any arms sales to Saudi Arabia. And I think this tension would actually be removed from the U.S.-Saudi relationship if MBS was removed. I also really view MBS as just kind of a lame duck in general because nothing that we want from Saudi Arabia is... By definition, necessarily tied to him. Sure. I mean, it's like we want you know, we need to buy Saudi oil. Okay. Well, MBS doesn't need to be crown prince for us to buy Saudi oil. Sure. We want them to buy our weapons. MBS doesn't need to be crown prince for them to buy our weapons. Um, you know, the U S by and large has been a fan of vision of his vision 2030, which is his goal to, um, modernize the economy and diversify it and integrate women into working. And that's great. Sort of a
0: great leap forward.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, But again, he doesn't need to be crown prince for that vision to be implemented. And by the way, I mean, he didn't really write it himself. You know, it was a bunch of McKinsey consultants. So it's I don't really see what the unique advantages of having MBS as crown prince and King Salman has already he's. Um, MBS is the third crown prince mm-hmm. so a couple years ago it was Mohammed bin Nayef and then a few years before that it was someone else um, and so I just really don't see how MBS is going to get out of this I mean I think he's it's really clear he's super guilty yeah,
1: is, yeah. so the as far as the, so. the succession like I guess mechanism for lack of a better word is it basically King Salman gets to decide who he thinks is best for the job and we just sort of go from there
2: yeah, pretty much because he has. Um, I think they had like seventy children, and so pretty <sighs> That's much
0: a lot of children.
2: Yeah. So, wow. well, the way that the kingdom was unified originally um, mm-hmm. in the nineteen twenties was um, King Abdulaziz, so or Ibn Saud. Um, conquered different warring tribes on the Arabian Peninsula and then the way that he united them was he would marry like a princess from these different warring tribes and then have children with them And Then get essentially get divorced because in Islam you're allowed to have up to four wives at a time So it's basically as soon as he would hit four he would like get divorced and then marry like a new Set of princesses from these different tribes have children with them and so on and so forth and that was how he kind of unified um, the Arabian Peninsula to create Saudi Arabia, so Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he had over 70 children um, and there's a lot of different political dynamics between the 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 matrilineal lines so okay kind of like how we have political parties in america oftentimes in saudi arabia uh you know the concept of a political party might be more like all of the children of this wife kind of subscribe to this school of thought and they have a competition with the children from that other wife who might subscribe to a different school of thought. And so that includes a spectrum of like, some are more moderate, some are far more religious, some are more, you know, extreme, some aren't. Um, and so kind of all of those different houses kind of function as a different political party.
0: So when, when you say uh, competition, like almost like a, it's almost like a game for the throne. Like a game of thrones. Absolutely. Ryan is the one who no, does the puns. absolutely is. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on and, and our end, uh, you know, you mentioned in D.C., some of the conventional wisdom seems to be changing. Um, Trump is definitely not the first president to be enmeshed with the Saudis, but he's the first one to be so totally, you know, transparent and obvious about it. And meanwhile, the State Department just put out a request for proposals seeking contractors to train guards for Saudi Arabian women's prisons. So assuming you know whether or not mbs stays in power um is this does the general status quo proceed in washington or do
2: yeah i mean the re- the reality is that saudi arabia the us saudi arabia relationship at this point there's no real alternative to it um mm-hmm. but although i will say that president erdogan in turkey is trying to be the new dominant uh, Sunni power, which is an interesting. Which is pretty scary
0: in and of itself.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic to shake, to kind of see how it shakes out. I mean, the thing about President Erdogan or Turkey generally as a country is while, you know, of course, there's a number of human rights violations and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, on many kind of matrices, it's a, it's far more liberalized than Saudi Arabia sure. is.
0: But I think the concern though, and so the concern kind of globally though, I, as I understand it regarding Turkey is like it is more liberalized, but it's also getting more regressive. Whereas it appears f- prior to the Khashoggi thing that it appeared that Saudi Arabia was more conservative but was moving to be more liberal. So I think it's like, isn't there like sort of a global question of momentum as well that's kind of in play?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to point out. I mean, I feel like immediately following the attempted coup against President Erdogan, Mm -hmm. kind of understandably from his perspective, um, he felt the need to have... A serious crackdown on dissenters i don't sure i don't know that that dynamic will be a permanent dynamic uh going forward i think yeah. he's seen that politically there's kind of more there might be more of an incentive to play nice yeah um and i think he's okay. been you know really an opportunistic genius um yeah. with handling the assassination of Khashoggi in his country. Yeah,
1: yeah he's done really well. I he's... mean, I do remember, though, when he uh, when he had his, for lack of a better word, goons beating up Americans like right near the White House. Yeah. Right? I mean, like six months ago or yeah. something like that. Gosh. Yeah, that's, uh, well, not, a, um,
2: that's not a good
1: look. <laughs> not a good look, yeah. So I guess tied in as well with Saudi Arabia right now is uh, we're sort of our unconditional, I guess, I don't know if unconditional is the right word, but our support of their war in Yemen Oh, yeah. Um, There's also a – I'm sure you saw there was a Daily Beast article a few days ago about uh, former American American military members contracting essentially to be mercenary hit squads in Yemen. Oh, I did
2: see that. Yeah. Why
1: why aren't more Americans paying attention to this? Is it sort of our just exhaustion with ongoing forever war? We sort of just like, well, whatever. Honestly, it's
2: it's really – so I get asked to speak about Yemen all the time, but I'm always asked to Mm -hmm. speak about it by – um, this Israeli station that I'm on a lot, or Al Jazeera. Is that I-24? Yeah, I24 is an Israeli station okay. that I'm I'm on a lot, and um, and Al Jazeera, and it's like I just don't think the American media covers it I mean whenever I watch CNN or Fox they never talk about what's happening in Yemen Um,
1: we got to talk about Stormy Daniels man like haven't you seen like the 400 stories about uh, Donald Trump's mushroom dick
2: Uh, it's so I mean it's so dumbed down I mean I honestly like can't even really watch TV anymore yeah uh, even though I'm on it which is kind of crazy but I'm trying really hard to be more of like a substantive voice
1: okay in we the media,
2: um, but I will tell you, like when I was on Fox, I've been on Fox a few times, sure. and the questions that they ask are so stupid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, the answers that they give are stupid too.
2: Yeah, well, I'll just give you an example. So I was sure. on Fox and Friends. Um, oh
1: well, that's like that's like the dumbest. I, I mean, dumb. you had uh, I'm sure a uh, certain gentleman in 1600 Pennsylvania must have been watching.
2: Yeah, maybe. Um, His show. So, anyways, it was right after that gentleman had a private one-on-one meeting with Putin, and like mm-hmm, the interpreter okay. wasn't even there. And then oh, Congress Jesus. was having Pompeo testify, and then they were calling the interpreter to come testify because everybody like felt really un- that it was really sketchy that he was meeting with Putin like one-on-one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I am on Fox and Friends. And then, you know, they list me as the Democratic strategist. And then their question is Do you think it's okay for the president of the United States to have a private meeting? And I was just like, What? I was like, That is not the question. The question here is Is it appropriate for the president to have a private meeting with a foreign? enemy power who's been suspect, <laughs> suspected of, you know, um, steering the election in his way and all these people are under current investigation. Like, I mean, it's like, way to take it out of context, you know?
0: I think basically what they were saying is, why do you, a brown woman <laughs> with a Middle Eastern sounding name, get to tell this white man who we, who we cannot meet with?
2: Yeah, it God. was it was just uh, so, like, anyways. And then even, even when I'm booked, I have to tell you, like,
0: yeah.
2: almost every international station that books me, when they call me to speak on a certain subject, like, for example, the Iran deal or the war in Yemen sure. or energy sure. prices, the bookers will, like, really kind of screen me like screen my credentials, you know, like when you worked in the Obama administration, did you work on X or when you were at CSIS, did you do this or whatever? Mm -hmm. And when Fox calls me, they're always just like, can you give me fire? Can you be fiery? (laughs) And I was like, do you care at all
1: about my credentials? entertainment, man. (laughs) We just
0: want fiery brown woman that we can scare all our
1: viewers with. Yeah,
2: Yeah, really. So anyway. Tell us
1: about your Soros checks. Yeah, Jesus. Okay. Well, Shift So shifting gears a little bit, we'd like to talk a little bit about uh, Palestine and Israel, and we're excited like we're excited you're here because you can provide something that we don't have a lot in mainstream media, Palestinian voice, Palestinian perspectives. So mm-hmm. um, and this ties into the administration as well. you know as a Palestinian American living in DC working in the belly of the beast with an administration that's at best indifferent and at worst, you know actively hostile to the Palestinian people and the Palestinian national project, how do you persevere and what gives you hope for the future?
2: That's a great question. I mean, I think definitely one of the things that gives me hope for the future is seeing kind of all of like the Pew polling, showing that um, support or just kind of unquestioned support of Israel is declining. I think, you know, for a really long time, there was this culture in America that you could never say anything against an Israeli policy because of a fear that you would be called an anti-Semite. And I think at this point, there is more of an understanding in the general public that Like, just like I criticize the American government, I'm a proud American. I don't hate America. I worked in the American government myself. You know, I'm certainly able to have legitimate criticisms against the Israeli government. And especially because Israel is the largest recipient of U.S. foreign aid. So, I mean, that's directly our tax money. And so I think it makes sense to be scrutinizing it because that's our money. So the question is, yeah. how are you spending our money? Do I approve of how you're spending it or not?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, ra- you raise a good point, the question about, you know, criticizing of Israel, whether or not it's inherently anti-Semitic. And we'll get into that more later. Um, but it seems, you know, in terms of public opinion shifting, uh, it seems like the quote-unquote peace process, and at least, you know, two states contemplated by the Oslo Accords, is functionally dead. Um, the Trump administration clearly has no interest in mediating neutrally um Bibi netanyahu's government has no interest in participating um which you know ambassador our ambassador uh was a former you know settler who posed with a photo of the third temple where the dome of the rock should be he also called you know j street like a milquetoast middle of the road group uh kapos you know as in the jews who helped the nazis murder oh other jews God. in the holocaust yeah so if with that's the case like uh when you talk about when you look at in Palestine and like the leadership in Palestine. Um, I don't know, did you see the the Human Rights Watch put out the report about um, the, I guess, the, you know, routinely using arbitrary arrest, torture as tools to crush dissent. Um, we have other quotes I've seen. Uh, former PLO spokesman Diana Butu said that, you know, the president rules by decree, the prime minister has never received confirmation, the parliament hasn't met in a decade. The terms their terms all expired years ago for for ordinary folks living on the ground uh, what do they see as their best hope for the future
2: you know I get message from messages from Palestinian people every day. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people I know, some people I don't. They just see me on television, you know, because I'm on Al Jazeera and I'm on Al Jazeera Arabic particularly a lot. And so they watch me. They know who I am. And, I mean, I get messages from people living in Gaza. I get messages from people living in Nablus and Mm -hmm. Ramallah. And it's so uh, sad because people are just people. I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. all they want is to just have a life like a real life not you know to be able to go to school to be able to pursue their dreams to be able to live with their family to be able to travel Mm -hmm. and you know one gentleman he was 21 was messaging me from gaza and he was just saying to me like how his dream was just to be able to go anywhere anywhere yeah you know and um it's really you know, absolutely a catastrophic humanitarian disaster. And I think it is such a huge departure from American and democratic values. Um, And I think we're really kind of at a tipping point, though, where it's like, so bad, Mm -hmm. that my hope is that, you know, the international community will kind of get to the point where they have no choice but to kind of call a spade a spade because I yeah. think for many years people have been, sw- you know, swiping it under the rug. And I actually think in some ways it's kind of good that Trump – Yeah. Um, has taken such a hard line stance and you know when he moved the embassy to jerusalem because you know what i just said was like thank god i mean let's stop pretending that the u.s is an honest broker in this deal
1: exactly cats out of the bag exactly
2: exactly and it's like you know what i respect that the u.s is a sovereign nation the u.s has a has a right to choose an ally and to mercilessly advocate for that ally but if that's what you're going to do then let's not pretend that you're the mediator right you know like just own that just own that position and then let other countries or other organizations mediate and try to figure out this conflict or advocate on behalf of the palestinians
1: yeah there's a great um uh essentially an, an argument or a quip i saw is that even though you know uh, Israel and Russia are the only two countries in the world uh, where Trump has a higher approval rating than Obama. You know, in some ways, Obama uh, s- by basically saved Netanyahu and the right wing, saving them from themselves by not letting them give in to their own worst instincts. And exactly like you're saying, now we can't pretend anymore. Yeah. Uh,
2: and I, it's like I've seen, um, and this actually is interesting because so right after Trump moved the embassy to. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem, um, President Erdogan held a conference in Turkey for the, it's called the OIC, which is Organization of Islamic Countries, kind Mm of um, condemning the move and saying, like, you know, we don't recognize the legitimacy of that. And every single member state sent their head of state except for Saudi Arabia. Mm. So he was uh, I think um, Mohammed bin Salman sent an ambassador. He was, and he, you know, he was not there, and neither was King Salman there. And I think that's really interesting because it kind of shows again, you know, he doesn't want to make a slight against Jared Kushner because obviously moving mm-hmm. the embassy was, you know, initiative of Kushner's. But at the same mm-hmm. time, and
0: also he'd be angry at him on WhatsApp,
2: right? Exactly. <laughs> um, but um, at the same time. It's really, you know, the the Saudi royal family essentially gets a lot of their ruling legitimacy, like from the Quran, from. Sure. From as the guardian of the holy sites. Exactly. Yeah. From, as the guardian of Mecca and Medina, the two holiest sites in Islam. And the third holiest site in Islam is Jerusalem. And in Arabic, mm-hmm. we call it Al-Quds. And that's where the Dome of the Rock is or Al-Aqsa Mosque. And, um. I don't really understand this is kind of part of the reason why I think MBS is just generally a dead man walking and there's been so Mm -hmm. many things that have made him made his popularity decline in the Middle East um, which is undeniable Um, Mm -hmm. that how you can claim to be the legitimate ruler of Mecca and Medina and essentially abandon Jerusalem
1: yeah Mm. Yeah, I mean, and you know, on on that broader theme um, of the you know the region, the region's response, uh, it came out on Friday that uh, Bibi Netanyahu took a secret trip to Oman, and there's a video of him meeting with the Sultan, and it seems like he was received pretty warmly. Um, how how do you see, and you know, for for forever, you know, the the rest of the region has been, has at least nominally been supporting the Palestinian cause. Um, But how do you see Israel's relationship changing with the rest of the region, especially in response to Iran?
0: Well,
2: so there's basically been rumors for a while that the Gulf nations um, have been considering normalizing relations with Israel. I personally don't think that that is a bad idea. I mean, I'm a pragmatic Mm -hmm. person, and the Mm -hmm. reality is Israel exists. Israel is a country. You might Mm -hmm. as well have, you know, safety agreements and allow, Mm -hmm. hopefully, Arabs to travel in and out and Jewish people to travel in and out. So, yeah, Yeah. so on and so forth. And so, you're exactly right that the realignment of kind of interests, and this is why the Saudis were kind of a little bit cozying up to the Israelis behind the scenes um is because of the mutual threat of Iran so yeah. just to kind yeah. of explain to everybody Saudi Arabia and the majority of arab nations are sunni muslim nations and iran is a shia muslim nation which is a sect of islam that makes up about 20 percent of overall islam's population and these are two feuding sects so if you we kind Mm -hmm. of remember back to the split between the catholics and the protestants or the church of england and the catholics it's like that.
1: same same similar
2: yeah it's it's very analogous so Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Saudi Arabia sees itself as the leader of the Sunni of Sunni Islam, uh, in part because Mecca and Medina are in their country um, and is a regional rival with Iran, who is the leader of Shia Islam. Um, and Iran, as we know, is a great, great enemy of Israel. So there's kind of a natural alliance between the Sunni Arab nations and Israel in combating Iran my only thing and I've said this on television before is you know Israel, Israel desperately wants to have regional legitimacy and be recognized and so on and so forth and that makes sense but I just think it would be such an abandonment of I don't if you want to call it Islamic values or Arab history to not in the process of saying like, okay, Israel, we'll recognize you, but we want but, this and this yeah. and this for the Palestinian people in yeah. exchange.
1: Yeah. And you'd hope, and you know, what you'd hope, especially on the Israeli side, you'd hope that making peace with the neighborhood sort of removes the excuse and the siege mentality that allows them, especially with the American blank check to unquestionably, you know, trample all over the Palestinians. You just say, okay, guys, now that we've sorted this out, like, Put more pressure right um but i don't know that that's
2: happening because the thing is is that like you know the reality is the gulf nation's leadership it's not their job to advocate for the palestinian people i mean that's the big problem is that we live in a nation state system and the palestinian people don't have a nation state and so there's nobody you know in the game that's really it's their job to advocate advocate for them it's always just kind of like you know throws some breadcrumbs to the Palestinians. Um, And so I don't know if, you know, the leadership has to come from the, from Europe, because I will tell Mm -hmm. you, I mean, so my family is from an area of Palestine. My dad was born in 1932. He was quite a bit older than my mom. Um, so he was born in Palestine before Israel was established in 1948. And my family is from what is now considered to be totally, properly Israel. So even mm. when we talk about a two state solution or, um, you know, the territories, the occupied territories, like My, where my family is is from is totally off the table. It's not even in Mm -hmm. discussion or to be considered to be for Palestine. Like it's gone, just gone. Um, Yeah. But one of the things that my dad would say to me when I was a kid is he would just say, like, we didn't do this to these people, meaning like the Holocaust. Right. And he would say, like, you know, Europe did this to them and he would say, like, why do we pay the price for europe's crimes and
1: that was like the last little last little death rattle of colonialism right like the british can just be okay well here you go
2: yeah exactly and so and so i do kind of feel along that th- line of thinking and i think you you've seen a difference even in the british parliament how this issue is discussed kind of recognizing that you know they had the balfour declaration and so on and so forth i really do feel that there's more of kind of a moral obligation on the part of europe to yeah do something for the palestinians
1: i agree with that you know moving across the green line and and talking a little bit about israel the and mentioning their right wing shift we're about to mark the anniversary of Yitzhak Rabin's assassination, and it's been sort of downhill for peace and democracy ever since that. Currently, you know, you see the same rhetoric and tactics in the Israeli Parliament. Uh, one of the, the director of one of Israel's preeminent human rights organizations was addressing the UN Security Council about Gaza, and uh, he was called a collaborator, a disgrace. Um, one Knesset member put his face on a wanted dead or alive poster. So, the same thing is happening. History is repeating itself. The Palestinian citizens of Israel and the Arab parties in the Knesset are totally marginalized. The Israeli left seems totally marginalized as well. Assuming that peace, you know, whether in the form in the form of a two-state solution, which is still the stated aim of all the parties, how do we how do we get there? Because especially too, at the same point, you know, when we talk about theocracies in the Middle East, we're usually talking about Saudi Arabia or Iran, but the Israeli government is really heading in that direction as well. You know, the uh, the religious Zionists basically, Bibi is entirely dependent on them and their groups to get reelected, and they think if God is on our side, why should we settle? Right? We're, you know, we saw what happened in Gaza when uh, Ariel Sharon pulled out the settlers. You know, there are currently six hundred thousand settlers in the West Bank. You know, I know you know better than anybody the 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 numerous obstacles there, but how do we how do we break through some of this?
2: To be honest, I mean, I just do not see any positive progress at all with B.B. and Trump in office. I mean, there's going to have to be a really significant shift in leadership, certainly in the United States and then in Israel. But I will say because public opinion is shifting in the United States that will place different pressures on Congress and different pressures on whomever runs for president next, um, Mm -hmm. to hopefully take, or I would not even say take a different position, but actually follow through on what has been our stated position for years, you know? So like, the settlements are illegal every single president has recognized that the settlements are illegal and what's happening is every time israel continues to build settlements or commits human rights violations there's no repercussion you know we continue mm-hmm. with the same gigantic aid check we there's mm-hmm. there's just no and so it's it's almost like a you know a child who you say okay you're not allowed to you know eat chocolate before dinner but that every day they eat chocolate before dinner and then nothing happens to them you know i mean yeah. it's like so and i just get so frustrated because i mean i have so many amazing um friends in the united states and around the world who are either jewish american or of jewish descent and sometimes it's like i just want to like scream at Bibi netanyahu yeah. and just say like bb like didn't your mother ever teach you how to share yeah <laughs> like isn't oh, that man. a jewish value <laughs> it you're is exa- no you're you know? exactly right
1: and i mean this, like, when you talk about the shifting public opinion i mean that's the nowhere is that bigger than uh, american jews moving away like 76 percent are still going to vote for democrats you know even trump calls us ungrateful um and i'm sure in in the aftermath of today's you know horrific shooting in pittsburgh uh, 11 people oh dead God. you know bb and naftali bennett are gonna get on their circus tour and say, you're not safe here anywhere. You have to come home, blah, blah, blah. But we know that's not true. Speaking of other things that aren't true, let's talk
0: a little bit about DC life. So Hillary said this week that there was no abuse of power by Bill Clinton uh, in the Monica Lewinsky affair because, quote, Lewinsky was an adult. Uh, We've seen that you call BS on that. Yes,
2: exactly. I was just going to say that is absolute bullshit.
0: And uh, how so? Would you mind to elaborate just very briefly?
2: I mean, one of the things that the Me Too movement talks about is power disparities, you know, and Are you trying to
0: imply that there's a power disparity between an intern and the actual president of the United (laughs) States of America? Yes,
2: I am. Yes, exactly. The most powerful person in the world and a young intern. And it's like I have in various positions of mine, I have supervised Mm -hmm. interns for years in Washington. And I mean, I just feel so. Bad for her for Monica Lewinsky, to be honest, because I have to tell you, my interns don't know shit. Okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know,
1: I was a a DC intern while you were working for Colleen, and I remember that look in your eyes like, oh, this Josh guy doesn't know shit.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just part, you know, I was an intern myself, and when I reflect back on when I was an intern and what I know now and what I knew then, it's like I knew nothing. And I mean, You know, I mean, I just think she was so taken advantage of by both Democrats and Republicans. I mean, she wrote in her book how at one point she contemplated suicide. And, you know, we just see time and time again that when these kind of illicit affairs happen that, you know, the men are – are eventually able to kind of move on and people forget about it and everyone's just focusing Mm -hmm. on the Clinton Foundation, all the amazing work they're doing abroad.
0: Yeah, everybody loves Bill. Yeah, and then
2: it's like, but like the woman can never get over it. It's like she has the scarlet letter for life. Yeah, and I just I see that double standard. It really bothers me. And I just think it's one of the things that frustrates me in Washington and with both parties is when I see people who don't have integrity. And yeah. it's like, you know, damn well that well, s- s- if it wasn't Bill Clinton, if it was a different president, it wasn't her husband, yep. that she would be singing a different tune.
0: Yep. So speaking of people lacking integrity, another thing, since we follow you on social media, uh, a gentleman who you've called out recently is representative from California uh, and rabbit transporter Duncan Hunter. Yeah. Um, Genuine bad person. Duncan genuine Hunter. bad person person so uh he had some anti-arab bigotry to go along with his family values bullcrap that he likes to spout um would you mind sharing what you're comfortable sharing in terms of your opinion on mr duncan hunter
2: sure so like i mean i've gotten a lot of feedback about that post because it was obviously very bold um (laughs) but The point is, you know, some people have been like, Oh my god, I can't believe you said that and other people are like, Wow, Batsaman, thanks so much for sharing what you know. Like how are we gonna get rid of people? Yeah, like how are we gonna get rid of bad people if, you know, we don't know these bad things about them. So anyways, what what set me off and like for years I mean I haven't kind of I just kinda you know, it's like I just don't wanna get involved. I mean, like, whatever. But Capitol Hill is small, you know, as Josh Mm -hmm. knows from being an intern there. And I've worked either directly on the Hill or with the Hill now for 10 years. And so I have lots of friends. And the older I get, the more certain members of Congress are more like peers to me. So it's like now Mm -hmm. I'm like 33 and, you know, Tulsi's maybe 36. And there's, you know, a bunch of different members where we're kind of in the same age group. And sure. so I was at um, a party on the hill and, you know, there were several members of Congress there and several staff and people just hanging out, having – it was just – it really wasn't that, like, out of the ordinary party. I was just there having chili in the kitchen. But I walk into the kitchen and he was doing cocaine and he had two young women with him
1: who, How did you know it was cocaine? Well, I'm just – I mean – Just – what other white powder would you put up your nose? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just guessing, you know. So
0: Could have been been ground-up Bible verses.
2: (laughs) So, first of all, I was kind of taken aback because you think, like, at least somebody would, like, go do that in the bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, not on the kitchen counter. But I'm saying, like, with – arrogance and sloppiness go hand in hand right so um and then there were two young women with him which you know i can't confirm or deny what their occupations were but i can just tell you that i have worked with congressional staff for 10 years and Mm -hmm. they were not congressional staff that's all i have to say So anyways, what set me off and was because, you know, I am Palestinian American. And so Mm -hmm. if you want to really kind of push me over the edge, you know, you can um, do exactly what he did, which is he accused his opponent, Amar Kampa, who is running, as far as I know, a very clean campaign um, in San Diego against him. And he accused him of being essentially a terrorist um, because he's half Palestinian and half Mexican. And then not that this is really, you know, so important, but he's not even Muslim. Like his family is Christian. Not that 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 should be a qualifier, but I'm just saying like –
1: Anyways, it just shows how stupid and lazy that attack is and racist. Yeah,
2: stupid and lazy and racist and I'm just like god, I'm so sick of disgusting people. And he, I fair. mean, the thing that he's in Very trouble fair. about is not it has nothing to do with what I said. It's not dr- it's right. not drugs yeah, and it's not
1: conning veterans charities and like taking yourself on golf trips i mean when when
0: doing cocaine with questionable ladies of the night is the second worst thing that you're getting into uh (laughs) you're not a good congressman right
2: so but but the thing that i will tell you and i think josh you probably picked this up like when you worked on the hill was that you kind of know like who's like slimy and who's like a good guy and so it's like i've never seen i can't corroborate That he's embezzled funds or misused campaign funds. I have no idea, but I'm just just saying that when that news was initially released, I I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, not surprised. Yeah, he seems kind of slimy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well. Um. All right. And we haven't even gotten into this, but. Let's just talk about woke Mahmoud Ahmadinejad on Twitter. Have like, you seen have you seen him? Is he for real or is he just trolling the great
1: Satan?
2: Oh my God, I have not seen him. Do I need to follow him? What? Yes, what? you he, need
1: to he, follow He's out here talking about uh, he's talking about Colin Kaepernick and how he was wronged and then he's also uh, also weighed in with some uh, f- fervent opinions about uh, the Michigan State uh, University of Michigan football game. So he
0: honestly seems like he'd be a pretty great president.
2: Oh my gosh! I can't. What's his Twitter handle? I'm looking. Probably,
0: I would just I would just Twitter search Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Yeah. I don't think there's a ton of them.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No. I'm. I haven't been following him, <laughs> so you guys will have to update me. Oh wait. Yeah. I see. Wait, yeah, does he have 77 that husband died, grandfather, university professor? Yeah, that's him. President.
0: That's, that's, that's cool. That is legitimately Mahmoud. That's uncle Mahmoud. <laughs> Mahmoud, I'm gonna throw your ass in prison. I'm a to Mayor Proud Iranian.
2: Uh, wow. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, follow that and we'll have you on next time to talk about his Twitter feed. Uh, our last question for you. What is your favorite restaurant in DC and on Oahu? We asked this to everybody. Not about the D.C. thing, but we want to get everybody's favorite restaurant.
2: Okay, so my favorite restaurant in D.C. is Le Diplomat. And my favorite thing okay. to order there is the pea soup, which unfortunately it's seasonal. So it's off the menu right now. Le Diplomat, um, I
0: can confirm, is amazing. <laughs> that's my fancy.
2: favorite restaurant in Hawaii. God, that's really hard. I mean, I love Giovanni's Shrimp Truck. Um, Solid, yeah. And there was this Hawaiian restaurant... But i think i think it was yeah it cl- i'm pretty sure it closed but it was called ono hawaiian oh yeah food is th- it still there
1: they are i believe they are now under new ownership i have not been since the closure and reopening but they were closed for a little bit i believe they're right across the street from me
2: yeah duh ono hawaiian food that place is so bomb so i always go yeah. there whenever i'm in town i obviously always go to Giovanni's. um and all I do when I'm in Hawaii is eat, which is like so pathetic.
1: <laughs> Are you coming back for the holidays?
2: I don't have any plans to, but uh, yeah, but I, I'll be well, back you at do, some point.
0: We're doing dinner and drinks. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, great. Oh yeah, of course. Right. For sure.
0: Okay. Awesome. Next time you're in town, hit us up. We'll uh, definitely do that. Basama Al-Hussein, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
2: Yeah, I do. I just want everybody to know that not everyone in Washington is a gigantic asshole. <laughs>
1: That's good to know.
2: I just want the listeners to know that there are people in Washington who are really good and who are really hardworking, both Republicans and Democrats, who love this country so much and who respect each other. We have genuine, sincere friendships and who have good ideas for how to make our country better. And it just breaks my heart that everything I see on the news is so divisive, and I just want those who are listening outside to know that not everybody here is a huge jerk
0: and now I just feel as if I am I have to say or have to ask excuse me who's your favorite Republican
2: member of Congress or a friend Uh,
1: elected elected official
2: oh well I mean there's different members who I like for different reasons so
1: I mean I loved okay well
2: okay well I mean it was Senator McCain but do I have to pick someone else now because he passed away purge
1: the purge is coming, and you can only save one Republican.
2: I think Corker, Senator well, Corker, that's... the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he's honest.
1: Well, okay, but well, he's he's gone like in uh, two months. Yeah. I know, but
2: see, that's the problem is that all the good they ones are You resign. can, only, well, you no, they can just, only be
1: decent after you resign.
2: They just start being honest, at, like, you know, yeah. saying what they want not, I mean, I don't mean to say, but when, when you're running for reelection, you have all these things, any member of Congress has to take into consideration before they say something. And so it's only when a member is either retiring or resigning or whatever that like they can say, they can pull kind of like a John Brennan 2.0 and be like, okay, now let me tell you what I really feel. And so I think what's cool about Corker that we've, seen because he's not running for reelection is he says what he actually thinks. And I think a lot of the time, most of the time, it's right on.
0: Yeah. Well, and still I'm, sure there, are, cuts, I'm so. sure there <laughs> are
2: other members like that on the Republican side. But again, it's like because they're running, they're not able to say it. But if you were talking yeah. with them in private over drinks or having lunch or something, you know, there's so much more, I think, than we that we agree on than what we disagree on.
0: All right. Well, al Hussein, thank you so much. Thanks again, Basima.
2: Thanks for having me, you guys. Aloha.
1: All right. Aloha. Aloha. Take
2: care.
1: Bye. Time, 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 time for shout out. Shout out time. R.I.P. Rest in peace to the big homie Nairobi at the Honolulu Zoo. The zoo announced sadly that Nairobi, a 21-year-old male giraffe, passed away uh, from complications due to old age. Uh, he was one of three resident giraffes born and raised at the Honolulu Zoo. Giraffe years are 10 human years long. Yeah. He was 240 years old. The I made uh, that up. <laughs> well, the, the giraffes uh, have an average life expectancy of 10 to 15 in the wild. Because Donald Trump's kids keep shooting them. Right. Exactly. Uh, Nairobi made it to 21. Uh, the two surviving giraffes still at the zoo are his 24-year-old sister, Sabuti, and his 19-year-old brother, Squirt. Wonderful. How would you like to be a little brother Squirt and your siblings have like these badass African names? And you're, like, and you're hi, I'm
0: squirt. Yo, I knew a family one time. Uh, it was Brent, Bradley, Brandon, Bethany, Benjamin, six kid. They named that kid Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Shout um, out to the newly canonized Saint Oscar Romero of El Salvador. Tara Isabella Burton, writing for Vox, says Romero, a beloved figure in Latin America for his commitment to social justice and combating poverty, was executed on a church altar by a right-wing militia in 1980 after vocally disparaging the military dictatorship then in power. The revolutionary government Junta of El Salvador, which was in power from 1979 to 1982, frequently engaged in mass murder and torture of its citizens. Thank you, Who put C- that
1: government in power? Thank you, CIA. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. Interesting. Interesting. Romero is frequently associated with a Latin American school of thought known as Liberation Theology. Influenced by Marxist thought, Liberation Theology sees the mission of the church as not only saving souls for Christ, but also dismantling oppressive and exploitative power structures, bringing the kingdom of God to Earth. I think I think that's what I am. That's legit. I didn't ever know there was a word for that, but
0: I'm pretty sure that's me. Um, Marxism. Marxism. <laughs> Also, speaking of church news, the
1: Russian Orthodox Church has officially severed ties with Constantinople. Woo! No one really knows what
0: that means, but good for you guys. Yeah,
1: uh, and they're probably going to go to war with the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. I uh, wouldn't surprise me. No, not um, even a little bit. We don't have a restaurant recommendation for you Actually, okay, I got a little one. Oh, Ryan's
0: got one. I went to this place for the first time. I've yeah. never been there. It's it, it's very, it's well patronized from what I understand. Frost City. It's, Frost City, bitch. Frost, Frost I know, City, I know, I know. I do the same thing. I've never, I've
1: never heard of Frost City. It
0: is like Right near the gate at the Macaulay uh Baritania King Street split. Okay. It's like on the ground floor of the same shopping center where Ahie Assassins is. I think it's a Korean thing. There's some sort of kanji character I can't read.
1: Um but
0: You're gonna tell send, me it's not send, kanji?
1: Send your complaints to at Ryan is little. Is that not? Is it not kanji? <laughs> no, I mean, I, somebody's people will be like, "This doesn't even know blah 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 no, blah." No, of blah. course I can't read kanji. Uh, <laughs> it's but not, it's not kanji. learn a fucking book. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah. I
0: may get that, but I don't think so because I learned no. hiragana and katakana one time, and I don't think it was one of the characters I recognized. So, anywho, uh, they make what's called like frost, and it's, it's like the it's like. Th- 3,000 times thinner than a snow cone Mm -hmm. and they put like mochi, like not mochi crunch, but they put mochi and like fruit and they get it. Dude, it's amazing. It's really cheap. It's like six bucks and it's easily enough to feed two. It's a great dessert option. So we've gone there like three or four times. Perfect. Also, shout out to Mr. Snoop D-L-double-J.
1: This is, we don't, I don't have a restaurant rec, but I'm going to recommend everybody go ahead and buy Snoop Dogg's brand new cookbook. What's it called, Ryan?
0: From Crook to Cook, Platinum Recipes from The Boss Dog's Kitchen. Uh, published by Chronicle. Tells the story of his culinary rise to the recipes uh, from his doggy style days in the early 1990s when gin and juice flowed and fried bologna sandwiches were his go-to grub. And he also stood trial for murder. To today when he's <laughs> often inspired by his delightful friendship with Martha Stewart.
1: Snoop writes that his billionaire's bacon, a smoky sweet twist on the usual brunch standby, quote, is for when you want some real play of shit and you ain't got time for that regular swine. Yo, man. I... Like My goal in life is, is to, be, to on be on some real play of yeah. Shit. yeah. I
0: just hope that when everybody comes and watches our live show, November 8th, 7.30 p.m. at Mark's Garage, yeah. that they think, wow, these guys are on some real play of shit.
1: I mean, I'm not a very good cook. I'm working on it. But maybe hint, hint, Antoinette, if you're listening, you want to <laughs> cop this uh, cookbook for Christmas?
0: Also, uh, we're sending all love and aloha to Pittsburgh as in the course of broadcasting this, um, the... the excuse me, in the course of recording this, we don't broadcast it yet. yet, yeah. uh, the death toll has risen to
1: 11. Well, uh, as as our ancestors say, Mir iberleben, we will outlive them. Yeah. So, hey Nazis, fuck you. Get in touch. Rate and review us on iTunes. It really, really helps. And most importantly, come to our live, live show. show. November 8th, Mark's Garage, 730 930. Be there. It's going to be lit. Fun. Lit. Lit and fun. Yep. All right. That's all we got. Next time, Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.